All right, if you would, take your Bible and open to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, we've already spent two weeks there, uh, and two more this morning, and then one more week in Daniel chapter 1, specifically this morning, thinking about God's faithfulness to us, and then next week, we'll think about how God's faithfulness provides the foundation for Daniel and his friends to have a faithful response to God. So we're looking at both sides of that question of what does it mean to be faithful and how do we learn that through the book of Daniel and the story of Scripture. Uh, a couple of quick notes as we get started this morning. Next week is our graduate Sunday. I'm so excited to, uh, to celebrate God's work in these seniors and what he has planned for them. And so we'll come together next week to, to pray for them and to celebrate God's work there. Also, tonight we are beginning the first of what are going to be many opportunities we have this summer together at 5 o'clock on Sunday night for worship. And so tonight, really astounding thing we have uh, for you. They make these books where they take all of the songs and compile them together, and then you bind the book together, uh, and you open them up, and the song and the lyrics are all right there uh, together. And so we found these books here on, on our property, and we're going to break them out tonight and sing a bunch of hymns together. So we are excited about using the hymn book and open that uh, up together. Five o'clock, we'll have hymn singing, we'll have prayer, we'll have preaching. It's just going to be a good time. Uh, there was a rumor going around that the pastor would treat everyone to Brahms afterward. I like to say that's just a rumor. It depends on what the offering looks like about how much, uh, how much Brahms ice cream I, uh, I buy. But uh, we will likely find our way to Brahms afterward uh, tonight. But I'm excited to be able to do that. We'll gather every Sunday night in the summer at 5 o'clock for worship, except on what we consider the main holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Memorial Day weekend, Independence Day, we won't do those weekends, but all the other weeks during the summer, five o'clock Sunday evening, preaching, prayer, hymns, just a great time to, to be together. So I want you to know that that is coming. This morning, we're going to work our way all the way through Daniel chapter one. And as we think about that, I want you to think about from Daniel chapter one, as we get into this, that what we see is not always the end of the story. In fact, what we see is often not the end of the story. In our house, uh, I don't want to overplay this, I am not a chess master by any stretch of the imagination, but, but I'll play chess with the kids from time to time, and those of you who play a lot of chess and, and are good at chess know that sometimes in chess, you have to give up a piece in order to really get where you want to go. You make a move in order to set up another move. You think about looking at a, a beautiful mosaic, some place that you've seen in the world. If you look at just one small part of that mosaic, you're going to miss what's happening in the big picture. There, what looks like chaos or disarray, you don't get the full picture, you don't get the full perspective. Um, maybe another way to think about this, I think about my granddad's shop, if you walked into my granddad's shop, or I walked into it, it looked like complete chaos, like out of control, things were everywhere, except if you would have asked my granddad where to find a particular tool, oh, he could have told you exactly where that particular tool was. What looked like out of control chaos to everybody else 
was actually completely under his control. He knew how these things were happening. Look at Daniel chapter 1. I want to show you the way that this works itself out in Scripture. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now this is where understanding a little bit about ancient culture and history becomes very helpful, because in the ancient world, for one king to defeat another was parallel to that king's God defeating the other God. So when someone looked at this scenario, it was pretty simple. The God of Babylon had defeated the God of Jerusalem. This is not just a military scenario. The people would have said, praise Marduk, from whom all blessings flow. That Jerusalem God, that God of the Israelites, he's been defeated. Now the ter territory of the God of Babylon has been extended. That's what people would have seen if they looked at this scenario. Verse 3. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding learning, competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Now again, if someone was to look at this scenario, it would be pretty obvious what's happening. This God of Babylon, this king of Babylon, has taken these young men from Jerusalem, and they're going to come, and they're going to be enculturated in all the learning and religion and education of Babylon, and they're going to grow up in this court, and they're going to take on the identity of Babylon, because notice they're given these new names. They're going to take on this identity, and they're going to become assets to the kingdom of Babylon. They're going to build up that particular kingdom. Except, we passed over quickly on purpose one key word. And in fact, this may be the key word for the entire book of Daniel. Verse 2, beginning to verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The king of Judah was not taken into exile because the God of Babylon was greater. God gave him to Babylon. What does that tell us? God is completely in control of this story. That when anyone might have read this story, just as a historical reference, they would say, oh, the God of Jerusalem was defeated by the God of Babylon. And the book of Daniel here in verse 2 with that word gave says, oh, no, no, no. That is not what's happening here. What we have here is a story of God's faithfulness and sovereignty at work in order that we would learn to trust him. That word gave is going to be our key word this morning because it runs all throughout this chapter. 
You're going to find it in verse 2. You're going to find it later in verse 9 and verse 17 as an action that God brings about. And what we want to think through is what is God giving his people in exile that they, that they need? And from the very beginning, friends, what you find here is God is giving his people reminders of his faithfulness and sovereignty, that he is in control. And the first example of that faithfulness and sovereignty is that they are sent into exile. And you might say, well, come on, Owen, like some faithfulness that is from God that he gave them over to their enemies? God is acting perfectly according to his holiness at this moment. He has promised the people by his covenant for generations and generations that if they turned against him, that they would be sent into exile, and that's exactly what's happening here. Sometimes God's judgment is the greatest illustration of his faithfulness, that in this moment, his character is showing through, that God will not be mocked, that he is not afraid of worldly powers, Psalm chapter 2, in fact, says when all the nations are raging around and the kings are plotting in order to gain victory, do you know what God is doing? He's laughing. He is sitting on his throne perfectly in control. And, and let me say something before we go on about that word sovereignty. If you, if you spent any time uh, around church context, you know that the word sovereignty can cause uh, some division and a lot of just sometimes chaos theologically. Don't let a word like that, that is meant to inspire worship and unity, to be used to cause division. When we talk about God's sovereignty here, we're talking about his character. We're talking about that he is perfectly holy, perfectly loving, perfectly good, perfectly in control. And God's sovereignty here is a really good gift. And it's a really good gift because we need to be reminded that God's control in our life is not based on our circumstances. And God's control in our life is not based on where we're located. Most of the people at this time would have thought as soon as the people, Daniel and his friends, got into Babylon, that they would have been outside the territory of God. They would have been outside of God's reach. And God is making very clear, you're not gonna go outside my reach. My arm extends over all of creation and I am perfectly faithful in every place. And some of you this morning, God has brought here to remind you that even if your life looks out of control, or even if you do not feel God's presence in the way you want, that he is perfectly faithful to you. And he is perfectly in control, and he is a good and sovereign God that you can trust. When you think about the way the book of Daniel is put together, much of Daniel is what we would call, big word here, but what we would call apocalyptic literature. Daniel, in a way, for the Old Testament, is similar to what Revelation is for, for the New Testament. And if we're not careful, when we think about apocalyptic literature, the first thing we want to go to is predictions of the future. And there is that element, and, and we'll talk about that. But that is not the main goal of Daniel or Revelation. The main goal of apocalyptic literature in the Bible, like Daniel and Revelation, is to speak to a group that's a minority, that looks like they're losing, that looks like God is not at work in their midst, and to tell them, hey, guess what? <laughs> Behind the scenes, oh, it's a completely different story. God is absolutely on his throne. And victory is absolutely certain for his people. And so it looks like your little group is not doing well right now, but if you'll pull back the curtain, and you'll see what God is up to, 
It's really good, friends. And he is victorious, and he is in control. And that's the way apocalyptic literature works. You think about the comparisons between Daniel and the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 45, verse 8. Joseph is very clear when speaking to his brothers, you didn't send me here. God sent me to Egypt. Or you get to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, and Joseph says what you planned and what the enemy wanted to be used for evil, God is actually used for good and for the salvation of many. And so when you see the story of Joseph and you think about his connections with the story of Daniel, it's another reminder, hey, God's in control here. He's working in incredible ways. You think about this idea of the church in Iran right now, where if we think about Iran and we look at all the exterior things we see in all the news reports, you're like, man, that place is way outside of God's reach and God's work, and everything seems to be falling apart there. Can I tell you, by all reports, and granted, these are reports, but by all reports, percentage-wise, the fastest-growing church in the world is happening in Iran right now. When we see something with our eyes, humanly speaking, and we're like, oh, things aren't going well, everything's falling apart, God is at work in ways that go beyond anything we could ever see or imagine. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground without him being perfectly in control. And we need to remember that, that even when I don't see it, he's working. And even when I don't feel it, he's working. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? When you think about, God, I just don't feel your presence. When I look around, it doesn't look like things are going well for your kingdom. Friends, he is faithful, and he is in control. In the middle of Babylon, he is calling us to trust him, that we would trust him, and that knowing in Babylon, he will provide everything we need. Because we get verses like verse 8. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, but Daniel resolved, we can't preach this too much because this is next week, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, what made the king's food uh, so bad and defiling in this way? Well, most likely the main point here is that much of this food would have been dedicated to the gods of Babylon, and so it would have been, in a way, participating in some type of cultic worship of those gods. That's probably part of it. But there's another angle on this food that I think helps us see something going on here. The food of the king would have been coming from his table. If Daniel and his friends are eating vegetables and drinking water, do you know where that food is coming? It's coming from the land and the creation that God has provided. So in them, not taking of the king's food, but taking of the vegetables and water, it's a picture of their dependence on God's provision as opposed to the provision of this world, the, the provision of the king. And you get to verse 9, and watch what happens in verse 9. God gave. Well, that's no surprise because that's our key word. That's the word we're looking for in Daniel 1. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. God gave them favor and mercy. What we're going to find here in the second point of the sermon is the way that in Babylon, God is at work in their character. 
God is giving them exactly what they need as young men in order to remain faithful to him in Babylon. And here's a really fun thing. Man, you love the way scripture works in a moment like this. These words up here, favor and compassion. Favor is that famous Old Testament word, hesed, that talks about God's loving faithfulness. And compassion is a word that often comes across in your translation as mercy. Do you know another place in the Bible that these two words show up together? If you don't, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> it's Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3 is when you get a verse like, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. So make the connection here. In Daniel 1, God is giving Daniel and his friends favor and compassion, this loving faithfulness and mercy. Do you know what he's giving them in Daniel chapter 1? He's giving them his character, who he is as a loving and faithful and compassionate and merciful God. In Babylon, this is exactly what God is giving to Daniel and his friends. What they need most in Babylon is they need the character of God at work in their lives. Do you know what we need most living in Babylon, living in exile? We need the character of God at work in our lives, flowing through us, impacting the people around us. That that is what will make the difference, that we can live for God as he transforms us from the inside out. Look at how these verses develop in verse 10. The chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Verse 12, test your servants for 10 days. No surprise that number 10 is there. Daniel loves the number 10, the number 7. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. When I think about a scenario like this, I think about a New Testament verse like Luke 2.52 that by God's power, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. If you need a New Testament verse to describe what's happening to Daniel and your friends, that's, that's your connection there. That God is always faithful to bring about the holiness of, of his people, like it says there in 1 Thessalonians 5. That, that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, like it says in 2 Peter 1. Hard circumstances in your life will do two th things. They will reveal your character and they will shape your character. I know it's in the middle of the sermon so it would be easy to miss a line like that, but let me say it again. Hard circumstances in your life will do two things. They will reveal your character and they will shape your character. It may be in life that God takes you through things that you never expected and let's just be honest, never wanted. But who you will become because of that would never have happened had you not gone through that particular situation. Is that easy to hear? 
No, no, it's not easy to hear. But it does give us a picture of how God works in our life, that God pours his character into our lives, takes us through these circumstances, and then uses us in ways that go beyond anything we could ever imagine. Look what happens in verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave, there's our phrase again, this is our phrase that holds this whole thing together, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. In Babylon, what does God give his people? He gives his people reminders of his faithfulness and sovereignty, so we'll trust him. He gives us his favor and mercy. He pours his character into our lives so that we're transformed. You know what else he gives people in Babylon? He gives them gifts and talents that are going to be used for, for his glory. Can I tell you, friends, God will not waste any of your experiences in life. God uses the experiences we go through. He gives us uh, transformation of character, yes, but he also gives us talents and skills that are going to be used for, for his glory. Uh, sometimes, those are just what we would say, and I'll be careful with my phrasing here, but natural talents that, let's be honest, are still supernatural talents because they come from the hand of God, but these are these things that, hey, you're just good at. You're, you're gifted in those ways. Sometimes, like the end of verse 17, Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. That's something that comes straight as a revelation from God. That comes from the hand of God. Sometimes God is going to use you to do something, and you're going to think, wow, I have no idea how I was able to do that, except for the fact that God gave me exactly what I needed in that situation. Look at how that works itself out there in verse 18. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Now, at this moment, if you had interviewed Nebuchadnezzar and said, why are these guys, why are these young men so impressive in wisdom and understanding? He would have said, well, because... I taught them these things, and they grew up in my kingdom, and they learned these things. What do we know behind the scenes? Why do these guys have wisdom and understanding? Because it came from the hand of God. That God gave them this wisdom and understanding and gifting to be used for his glory. Can I remind you? I know this is simple Christianity 101, but can I remind you that God has given you gifts and talents to be used for his glory. In Babylon, he gives his people exactly what they need to continue to advance his kingdom. That God is at work in your life in ways that go beyond anything that you could ever imagine. I want to show you one last thing. We're going we're to wrap up with this. Look at the last verse in Daniel chapter 1. Now you're going to notice that God gave does not show up here, okay? But we're going to use this as a fourth point because it kind of wraps everything up with this chapter. Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. It's really, you wouldn't expect this verse to be here. It almost feels out of place just a little bit, like it should come at the end of the book. But you're already getting a picture here in chapter one 
that God is going to give his people the endurance to get through this time and to lead them to the point of deliverance. Because with Cyrus, remember they're going to begin to return to the Holy Land at this point. There's going to be an opportunity for them to no longer be in Babylon, but to be able to return to build the temple and the slow process that happens. What you find at the end of chapter 1 is in Babylon, God gives his people endurance leading to deliverance. You're going to go through hard circumstances. You're going to face things you didn't want or expect. And God, by his strength and by his spirit, is going to give you the endurance to continue to go on, to continue to trust him, to continue to look to the future. Ultimately, where are we looking? To eternity. Now, here's the question. When we study the book of Daniel, this is not about a hero named Daniel. This is about a hero named Jesus. How do we see this pointing us to the good news of Jesus? Think about our favorite verse. Think about John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. What was Daniel's hope in Babylon? It was God gave. What is our hope in Christ? It is that God has given his son. That God has provided everything we need for life now and life eternally through his son. Uh, there's a famous preacher illustration with John 3.16 that if in some English translations you count up the words in John 3.16, you'll get to 25 words, and the word son will be right at the uh, middle of that verse. Good illustration. Nothing wrong with it. It's a, it's a great way to make a point. However, if you count up those words in John 3.16 in Greek, the way it would have originally been written down, you count up those 25 words in Greek in John 3.16. You know what word you find in the middle? It's the word gave. At the middle of John 3.16 is the fact that we serve a God who gives. Who gives of himself. Who reminds us that he is faithful and he's in control. Who pours out his character into our lives. Who gives us gifts and talents. And friends, he's the one who gives you the endurance to keep going. When you're ready to give up, when you think there's no way I can put another foot in front of the other, there's no way I can wake up another day, he is faithful, and he will provide the strength and the endurance that looks forward to eternity. When they went into exile, in Babylon, the people would have saying, praise Marduk, from whom all blessings flow. Do you know what we say? We say, praise God, praise Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from whom all blessings flow. And as we wrap up this morning, we're gonna sing that doxology together as a reminder that our hope in Daniel 1, our hope in all of life is that God has given us everything we need through Jesus Christ. Let me pray a blessing over you. We're gonna stand and sing the doxology together. And then after we do that, if I can pray for you personally, if you have something going on in your life, we'll be down here at the front and we would love to do that. Let me pray a blessing over us, and then we're going to stand and sing that together. Father, your word is, is so powerful and so beautiful, the way the pieces fit together. God, that when we see Daniel chapter 1 and we think about this book and the way that it works in Scripture, that the key phrase is God gave God, everything we have is from you, and everything we have is for you. 
God, you are a God who pours out your blessings on your people. God, when we don't deserve those, you pour them out. And we want to return all of that as worship to you. And God, I pray this morning that you would remind us how faithful and sovereign and good you are. God, that we can trust you. And because we can trust you, even in the middle of circumstances and years and situations that that are so hard, God, we can trust you. And you are changing us from the inside out. And you are using us in your kingdom in ways that go beyond anything we could ever imagine. And God, you are faithful to finish what you have started. And God, before us, we have the hope of eternity because of Jesus. God, would you work in these people's lives this morning? God, would you work in our church family? God, you would, would you remind us that we can trust you? Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.